Okay, these are just um, various uh, preaching, um, I guess, clips or something that um, I've come across that have been a really big blessing to me that I just wanted to share um, with uh, my sisters in the body of Christ. So I just pray that they'll be helpful. They said out a million roads into hell, there's not one road out. That if they continually sing in heaven, worthy as the Lamb, in hell, the only thing they sing is the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. There is coming, ladies and gentlemen, a judgment. There's coming a time when all that men had dreamed for and schemed for and sold their souls for would have turned to rust and dust and mold and corruption. There's coming a time when God will put the final period upon the final sentence, upon the final paragraph, upon the final page, upon the final chapter, upon the final book of history as we know it. The only thing that might keep me up this evening and steal sleep from my eyes is the fact that many of you will die and go to hell. Test yourself. This is not just some whimsical thing. This is not just something to worry about for a day. We're talking about eternity. Is it well with your soul? If you test yourselves in the light of Scripture, will you be found whole and complete, born again? Kept by the power of God. It's time to take a test and stop relying on your emotions and stop relying on what everyone is telling you and stop comparing yourself to other people who call themselves Christians because the great majority of people in America who call themselves Christians are lost. May I say to you tonight that the brevity of life and the uncertainty of life is speaking loudly to you and me and saying to us tonight, get ready for eternity. You're on a launching pad. One of these days you'll be pushed out. And now God is saying to you and to me, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Again, he says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. May I say to you that down here in this world of uncertainty and brevity, you can have an assurance. You can have a hope. You can have a certainty. And there's only one thing you can be sure of. You will not come to the judgment and then plead for mercy. It will do you no good. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. It says nothing of mercy there. You're going to be judged according to your works. Let me ask you a question. What are you going to do when this thing's all over? That's the thing I've been thinking about this time. What are you going to, where are you going from here? I mean, what are your plans? You said I don't have any. You won't go to heaven. I'll guarantee you heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And I don't believe anybody ever wakes up in heaven and said, Well, <laughs> surprise, I'm surprised. Here I'm in heaven. Oh, nobody. You'll go there because you planned it and put your trust in Jesus. And Jesus led you all the way. He says the books were open. What books? You say, well, Mr. Raymond, I, I won't be in serious trouble because, you know, I've got another good memory. 
Well, I'll tell you what, you'll have one that day. We'll hardly get our feet out of time into eternity and gaze on eternity to what we bow our heads in shame and humiliation and say, my God, look at all the riches there were in Jesus Christ and I've come to the judgment seat almost a pauper. For God has not really given us Jesus Christ, he's given us all things. And because there isn't enough joy in the house of God, we need entertainment. Because entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. But it is the law of God that you have to deal with. That will be the standard of judgment, and perfection is demanded. Therefore, the reason for hell's very existence is the hatred of God for sin that must condemn the unbelieving, unrepentant sinner to hell. There is a price to pay, and God says you're going to pay it. Some hate their sins and confess them every day and commit them again before the sun sets. Not that, not them. They won't be saved. The man who will be saved, who makes the right response to the man Christ Jesus, is the one who says, God, I'm sorry that I have sinned. Forgive me for Christ's sake, and I'll not do it again. Settles it that he's not going to do any more of this sinning business. But he breaks off with everything that's necessary. He breaks off with the friends that are ruining him. He breaks off with the kind of living that is dragging him down. He breaks off with it all changes his life and becomes another man. He's the man who prays past these fears and these doubts. He's the man like that fellow bar, Camus, was it, who said, Lord Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they tried to stop him, but they said, the scripture says he cried out all the more. The more people that tried to stop him, the louder he cried. He wanted Jesus Christ to hear him and then surrendered himself to Jesus. That's the person that is saved. That's the person that will be saved in the judgment of the great day. That's the person whom God knows as his child. That's the person who has seen his sin, who has seen the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has heard the invitation and the command to repent and believe on Christ, and who breaks off with everything and attaches himself to Jesus Christ as his Lord and all. That's the man, and that man will be saved. No other man will. We have never seen the agonizing death of a man on a cross. Immediately a man was nailed to the cross, he lost all his rights. And if you ever get nailed to the cross, you'll lose all yours too. Paul says, don't trouble me. I'm branded. I bear the marks of a slave. I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. I have no will of my own. I have no rights of my own. There's an old hymn established on that very theme. Let my hands perform his bidding. Let my feet run in his ways. Let my eyes see Jesus only. Let my lips speak forth his praise. All for Jesus. All my being's ransom powers. All my thoughts and words and doings. All my days and all my hours. This man is no professional preacher. Preaching is not a profession. It's a passion. Man can't preach with passion. He shouldn't preach at all. There's no breath of professionalism anywhere in the ministry of Paul, and thank God there's no breath of commercialism either. Paul has no fear. Do you know what he did? I would to God some of you fellows would do it. Do you know what he once did? He said, I bow the knee to the Father, and because he bowed the knee to the Father, he never bowed the knee to anybody else. Neither demons, or politicians, or kings. He stood there, regal, 
I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. In America alone right now, we have, I dare to say this before God, I believe we have hundreds of millions of gospel cassettes. And we've millions of gospel books. And we've hundreds of Bible schools. And, and we've hundreds, over the year, we have hundreds of seminars. And we have people memorizing the scriptures. And we have about 5,000 radio stations who every day give some part of the scripture. And yet with all this stuff to feed on, dear God, where are we with all this stuff to feed on? 95% of us are spiritual cripples. Spiritual infants, spiritual babes, children, full of self-pity, self-interest, self-seeking, self-concern, me first. And some people love God because he gives. We've got this wretched prosperity stuff. Paul's very clear, isn't he? Doesn't, doesn't he say, oh, well, writing to Timothy there, that you'll come a day when people think that gain is godliness? Some of God's choicest saints don't have another shirt to change. Peter said in his day that some will make merchandise of you. That couldn't be more true than the day in which we're living. Somebody said to a friend of mine recently who might be doing some building for God, he said, listen, let me give you a word of advice. Don't build anything that will embarrass you in a few years. That's a very good point. I see God's money going in stately buildings and swimming pools and tennis courts and I want to vomit. With the world starving, with the mission field needing money, Paul never glamorized the gospel. It's a pretty gory gospel. It's a bloody gospel. It's a sacrificial gospel. I believe the cardinal ethic of Christianity is sacrifice. Not success, sacrifice. The most precious thing we ever handle is the human soul. There is only one way to heaven. There are a million ways to hell. What do you do to go to hell? Nothing. Just do nothing, that's all. You don't have to thumb your nose at God. You don't have to blaspheme the name of Jesus. You don't have to be adulterer. Just coast on. For the greatest sin in the world is not adultery. The greatest sin in the world is I can manage my life without God. That's the greatest thing. There is only one way to heaven. There are a million ways to hell. Just coast on. For the greatest sin in the world is not adultery. The greatest sin in the world is I can manage my life without God. That's the greatest thing. You say sometimes, I wonder God doesn't burden me. Do you know why? Because he can't trust you, that's why. You're not strong enough to carry the burden. A lot of you here this morning, you don't need more light. This, this will only make it worse for you at the judgment. What you need is more obedience. Some of you have known for years what you should do, and you hold back. Do you remember some of those awesome words Jesus said to the disciples? I have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them. I say, Reverend the Almighty God, don't say that to me at the judgment seat. Don't let me stand before John Wesley and Finney and all the great saints of the ages and say, Raven, I had many things to tell you. You're so preoccupied with this, or preoccupied. I couldn't get through to you. And if I could, you weren't mature enough to handle it. Five minutes inside eternity. I believe every one of us will have wished that we'd sacrifice more, prayed more, loved more, sweated more, grieved more, wept more. Five percent of Christians in the nation are weak. God can't trust them with vision. He can't trust them with burden. 
You can't trust children with jewels. You can't trust them with something that needs bravery. They're too timid. You can't trust them with a burden. You'll break them. Five minutes inside eternity. I believe every one of us will have wished that we'd sacrifice more, prayed more, loved more, sweated more, grieved more, wept more. For the only thing that pleases God is what He does Himself. All things are from you and through you and to you. To you be all the glory. Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. And His name is the name above every name. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He is most definitely the Son of God, the only begotten. And He is the Son of man. And we know Him as such the child of the perfectly divine, himself eternal, and the child of humanity, fulfilling what Adam lost, fulfilling what was incomplete in David's kingship. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Son. And to say that he's the Son is not just to say he's fully divine. It means he relates to God a certain way, as a son would to a father. And that's his heart. He's saying, oh, if you can enter in to a sonship like I have, you will be as invincible as I was on the earth. You can be forsaken of men and disappointed by earthly fathers and still be whole. He's saying you think as charismatics and Pentecostals that the Holy Spirit is for your, your super duper worship services. It's the Spirit who makes us sons of God. Hear what the Spirit is saying. Not what your earthly fathers have said. Not what your whining friends are saying and complaining about. by the Spirit. Man, I like the Holy Ghost. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revelation of the sons. Creation is not waiting for the revelation of a charismatic movement that will contribute to a greater whole. When we come into a sonship, then we glorify God in the way He wants to be revealed in these Do we dare speak as though we can relate to proximate to you, you can't experience what I did. Do you really believe it's to your advantage he goes away physically? Do you really believe that God gave you something better than that by giving you your own relationship to the Father, to the Spirit in the name of the Son? It is not a work that we have that has anything to do with making good in this world. It has everything to do with another age, another realm, another kingdom. And everything they do and we do should be put in the context of the return of Jesus Christ. Period. He is coming back. And that, and that alone, is the framework of your life. Not what you can accomplish in the eyes of men, but the revelation of Him in fire at the end of the age. And what that event reveals in our lives. That is the context in which we should live every day and pray and raise our kids and preach the gospel. When the church loses her grip on the reality of eternity, 
and everlasting life. She will lose her motivation to work or she will exchange her motivation for something carnal and worldly. Of all people, we should be absorbed, fascinated, motivated by the reality that this age and everything about it is already decaying, passing away, and is worthless with all of its grandeur and its splendor, with all of its facade of everlastingness, eternality. Just being in New York and seeing all the flash and the pictures, the, just the way people look on a, you know, on a big screen television in the middle of the city, or the, the pride and the arrogance, fakeness and the falsehood that you just see on these little things you see on the, the airplane when the screen comes down and they're, they're interviewing entertainers like they're gods. Look at the impression they're trying to give. This is what is forever. This is a lasting quality thinking to myself every last bit of what they're doing, even their bodies, even the beauty on their faces, with all the cosmetics that make them look the way they look. And even if they're naturally beautiful, one day, if they don't, if they don't die completely wrinkled and decayed, after here, that body's trashed anyway. It gives the impression that this is what lasts forever. But of all people, we should be thoroughly bathed in the reality that everything about this life, even your body, will not last. Do you live that way? It is slipping away quickly. This age is a runaway train going to a certain doom. Do you know this? He's coming back and his reward is with him and his kingdom will be with him. And everything you did for him on that day, that is what you'll have forever. And everything you did for him that was not for him or not from him will die. You'll never see it again. So the question is, do we live our lives and work our ministries and what we do in light of eternity, in light of the return of the Lord, the judge? Or have we been tricked by this age, its facades of long-lastingness that in fact is nothing but a facade, it's nothing but a fake. It is going to be one of the most sobering, deeply challenging, shocking moments of the day of the Lord. It's coming. Every one of us will stand before God and give an account. And everything we did that is wood, hay, and stubble will burn. And I'm telling you, there are people in this room right now who've spent much of their lives in dead works. Your accomplishments are going to burn. Because there are things you are doing, things you're even praying or not praying, that are not from the Spirit, they are from the flesh, they are religious. And if you don't like hearing about it now, just wait till Judgment Day. Jesus is coming back. And this life and the religious system is trying to find a way to glorify the temporary beauty of this life and call it eternal. Don't buy it. Be in love with His appearing. Live for eternity. Do you long and groan for that day? Or is it barely even a consideration? According to the New Testament and the consistency and the frequency of its witness to this age, it should be the norm to meditate on these things, to be motivated by these things, and to work toward the goal of these things, and to groan for them. Therefore, I pray for me, and I pray for them, that you will give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and in the things that belong to Him. That by gift, by grace, you will insert into our heart and just put it in there like something that it gets inserted in and then expands what's in, what's in there eternity values tacked on eternity choices based on eternity prayers motivated by eternity a loss in this life even if things dear because eternity is real we want to be motivated by the beauty of your kingdom 
by the fact that we will live with you, enjoying the things that we do through the cross. There's hardly a man alive who dares to be just what he is without doctoring up the impression. It reminds me, a long time ago I read a novel. I don't remember the name of it, and I don't remember much about the plot. I just remember this one part of it where the girl who is the... The main character falls down and hits her head, and she goes into this kind of dream world. And the whole book, I remember, was about this woman's relationship with the Lord and trying to bring her to faith. And in this dream world, she's in the woods, and there's someone pursuing her. And she's deathly afraid, and she's trying to get away from this person who is pursuing her. There's some man pursuing her. And she meets another man in the forest, and this man wants to help her get away from her pursuer, so he keeps helping her. But as the story goes on, she begins to realize that the man who is pursuing her is actually pursuing her for her good. And it turns out to be an allegory. The man pursuing her was the Lord, and the one trying to help her get away from him was the devil. I have set on your walls, Jerusalem, shall never A lot of the problems that we have in our life is caused by... Um, pride you know what, what got me thinking about this was I read something by C.S. Lewis and um, he basically was trying to draw a picture of pride and he drew a picture of someone scraping and cleaning themselves trying to make themselves pure and he described them as barren and these people were trying to keep anything from touching them that would make them dirty Sometimes pride is manifested in a low view of ourselves rather than an exalted one. The more humility a person has, the greater true self-worth he has. Now think about that. The greater humility a person has, the more true self-worth he has. Pride is choosing to be deceitful about who you really are. It destroys self-esteem, making you insecure. Now think about that. Um, it is not true to say I'm worthless. You are made in the image of God. This is when you have God's view of yourself, you can be secure and transparent with others. I don't know who we think we are sometimes. To have these thoughts about ourselves and to believe these lies as though it had anything to do with what I make me it has everything to do with what he made me and all that matters is what he made me and if I'm embarrassed and afraid for people to see what he made then I'm embarrassed and afraid of him if I'm embarrassed and afraid to see what I have made me well then that's just pride we are constantly trying to come across as better than we are. 
We're constantly trying to hide our weaknesses and hide the areas that we uh, are most sensitive about. And we're fearful that people will see the things in us that we have rejected ourselves for. Humility is being willing to be known for who you are. Pride is trying to be known for who you are not. And I really do believe that meekness is the key to having that kind of intimacy. Intimacy is the key to being able to move the hand of the Lord. And so the key to power is meekness. Sitting at Jesus' feet is a very exposed place to be. You know, sit at Jesus' feet and he sees that. He saw that thought. He knows that attitude. He knows that thing that you did when you were 12 that you never told anybody. You know, and you squirm. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. See, Jesus responded to Martha. He responded to her by speaking truth to her. He said, Martha, you have been full of agendas and other things, and your eyes are on the wrong thing. It does not matter whether someone dies. It doesn't matter whether someone lives. One thing matters, and that's that I am. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am everything. And if you've got your eyes on the result, well, then I have disappointed you, haven't I? Verse 6, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb, you have it, Numbers 14? <clears throat> Verse 6, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes, they tore their clothes, and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Well, rebel ye not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they're bread for us. They're bread for us. We're going to go eat it up. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation, what? They stoned them with stones. Look at me. 
I'm, I'm not concerned about Joshua and Caleb because God's with them. They can stand up against everybody now because they're walking with God. They don't have any enemy. There's no weapon that's formed against Joshua and Caleb that can have any effect on them. But I'm concerned about those people with the stones in their hand. These are the children of God. This is the great majority. And you say, how can you people who talk about holiness, there's so few of you, how can you be right? Is the whole church, that whole thing you call a holy church, is that wrong? Well, there are only two of these men with, with Moses standing. I'm sure there were others. But as far as the leadership, there were two men standing there alone and running their clothes. I don't want to focus on Joshua and Caleb and the stoning. I want to know what's provoking them. What's provoking these people? To stone them. They're, they've got stones in their hands. And look at the message that's being preached. Let's go all the way. Come on. Grable. There's no giant that can stop us. There's nothing. It's a good land. This land of freedom, this land of righteousness, this land of walking without idolatry. We can go into it. We can possess it. And they gathered stones ready to stone them. How do you, how do you answer that? First, first of all, you don't answer people who stone you by answering back. Jesus said, as a lamb, you open not your mouth. You don't call fire down out of heaven on them either. You know, what, you know what the Scripture says? Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer. We take it. At verse 16, Because thou art lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and have gotten riches, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art the wretched one, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold refined by fire that thou mayest become rich, and white garments that thou mayest clothe thyself, that the shame of thy nakedness be not made manifest. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried 
about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Jesus answering said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? You see, the, 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 the thing between where you are now and the baptism of fire is a cup. What's a cup? What was a cup? Well, I'll tell you what, what ingredient, one ingredient was, it had betrayal in it. The men who sworn allegiance to him, when it came to the crisis, they quit. Can he drink of the cup? What's in the cup? I believe in that cup there was internal suffering, mental suffering and spiritual suffering. You want to drink the cup? I say it was internal, why? Because in Isaiah 53, 11 it says, he travels deserted by others and in the darkest hour not only deserted by men, deserted by God can you drink of that cup? do you want to travel? you see, what people are seeking for today is a painless Pentecost there isn't such a thing the day of Pentecost was fully come what happened immediately after Pentecost? they prospered, yes they did, they went to jail it wasn't prosperity, it was prison, pain, privation, persecution If you're going to follow the Lord, it's division in the family. Your father and mother will hate you. Jesus got to a place where his brother said he was insane. You know, people say, I want to be like Jesus. I doubt it. You want to get kicked out of your family because you love God? You want to be so true to God that the Thomas comes and doubts you? That a Judas tells you? You really want to be like Jesus? Well, why don't you practice it? Why don't you have 40 days and 40 nights of fasting? 
I'm sure it was not only internal, I'm sure it was mental pain. I'm sure it was bodily pain. Christianity has not been weighed in the balances and found wanting, it's been tried, found difficult and rejected. It's too tough. There's no part-time service, leave all and follow me. Can you drink of the cup? We're able. So they drank and they were crucified. Today it's considered sadistic if you say people have to take up their cross even. Don't tell young people about the cross, they'll be discouraged. Well, are you suggesting Jesus wasn't smart? If you're going to be my disciple, kiss the world goodbye. You see, when people are born again these days, they don't get separated from the world. Most likely their pastor is the most worldly guy that is around. But if you're going to get what he wants to give, if you're going to get the real true baptism of the Spirit, you have to drink of that cup.